0: I mean, parenting doesn't come with a book, although there are books out there, and although we have the Bible. Parenting is like, you, you, you got to learn along the way. A lot, is, a lot is learned as we go through experiences, mistakes, and even the most difficult times, that's when we learn. So you might be here today, and you're saying, but I don't, I, I'm not a parent, I don't have children. Yeah, but you are a child, and we're in this series um, going forward together, or forward together, and one of the key ingredients that we see in any person's life is that we cannot do life alone. We have to do life together, especially together with God. Sometimes we think, but God is such a, like he's, he's God, so he's way out there. He, what does he want to do with me? He, I, I don't even think he thinks about me. Well, you're wrong because God created you. So he's our heavenly father. And although we'll be talking about teamwork in the home, you might be dating someone right now. Maybe you don't have children yet but you also are a part of a larger team. Maybe you have extended family. Maybe you have friends who visit you or, or maybe you in, in a work environment. You have some type of family somewhere. And especially here in Hawaii, we have what we call ohana. Not just our immediate family, but we also understand the culture of family. So today, as we take a look at this word teamwork, hopefully we can learn how to do teamwork in the home. Now, some of us, we have the analogy already put together that we do things together as a team, and we understand that, 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 that idea of husband and wife coming together, family members coming together and doing things together as a, family, uh, as a team. So if we have that team concept in our mind, that's great, but we're going to look at two people in the Bible, a man by the name of Abram and a man by the name of Lot. Abram was Lot's uncle. Abram later became Abraham. But at this point, what we're going to read in the book of Genesis is when he was Abram. This is before he went through that name change. And so in the book of Genesis, chapter 13, we'll be there. You can turn there if you want to. You can also take out your notes from your bulletin that you're given. It'll help you to follow along. Or you can follow us with our church app, and that that helps too. In the beginning, when God created us, he created us for relationship, which is pretty interesting because one of the most complex things you and I will ever go through is relationship. If you talk to any of our youth ministers in there, the things that they deal with in our youth ministry is relationships. That's normally the number one thing. So we're we're built for relationships, but at the same time we have to be taught how to do relationship. See, you either live on your own or live with others. And when you're surrounded by others in the home, it changes the dynamics of living because everyone has their own perspective And now it's about how to live together rather than on your own. That's why it's important to understand teamwork in the home lest there be friction and it stays that way or division or disunity and no sense of moving forward together as a family or doing greater things in life. It is often said that it is so easy to be a Christian and it would be so much easier if it weren't for people. Well, we're surrounded by people all the time. So I used to say this. As a dad, I used to say, if you all just listen to me, everything would be fine. If you just listen to what I'm saying and do what I'm saying, no one get, would get hurt. No one would get scoldings. No one would get grounded. And everyone would be fine. We would live at peace. But no, you don't listen to me. Almost sounds like God. Almost sounds like God saying to us, if you just obey me, you'll be okay. But we live in a complex world built with complex thoughts and in a complex family. We have families that are together that are diverse. We have blended families, families that are separated. We have families with uh, in-laws that live together. We have grandparents and children, uh, grandchildren and parents with children all living together. So you have this huge dynamic of people in one roof, under one roof. So you're wondering, well, how do, we, how do we live then with teamwork in the home? What does that look like? Because right now in our family, everyone's kind of doing their own thing, and you can feel the tension in the family. And where do we go from here? Well, Paul the Apostle actually speaks these words in the book of Corinthians first book 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10 he says it like this he says i appeal to you brothers and sisters in the name of our lord jesus christ that you all that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought in other words what he's saying is you're all going to have a different perspective politically relationally in your beliefs. You're all going to have these different perspectives. However, let there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought, not necessarily what so-and-so is saying or what's happening in the world. Yeah, you're going to have different perspectives, different opinions, but when you come together as family, be united in mind and thought. The Bible actually tells us to take your thoughts captive unto the obedience of Christ. In other words, if you want to have a common ground in the family, let it be of Christ, because he is not divisional. He doesn't divide. He brings together. But how do we apply this in the home? Because every single person, every family member can go forward together and become more the person or more the family that God sees them to be by understanding how teamwork works in the home. And if you're single and you're the only one in the home, this still applies to you because you'll you'll always be surrounded by people. But we always want to try to do our very best to apply godly principles in our hearts so that we can do better in life as well as become that person that God sees us to be. So we're going to take a look at these two guys, an uh, an uncle and a nephew, and it's in the uh, book of Genesis, chapter 13. And this story is is so... uh, I think for some of us, it it may seem so foreign, but the principles are the same. And it'll relate to us in in the book of Genesis, chapter 13. It starts off in this way. And I'm reading out out of the New International Version. And it says, So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. So his nephew went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So when they came into the promised land, you still had the remnant of the Canaanites and the Perizzites. These are the enemies of God. So they're also in the land. So talk about being in a family home with also close, uh, your enemies are close by. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, then I will go to the right. And if you go to the right, I will go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zor was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, he said, look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west, all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever." I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. So go walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. So here you have two family members, wealthy which becomes a problem because now the land cannot take care of them. Well, Abram, being the older, has to make a decision. So now he decides that the best thing for them is to go into different areas so that they could sustain themselves as well as their livestock. See, I think even here in Hawaii, we, we have our kupuna who teach the younger, who teach us how to still have values in our families, and they give us wisdom for the future. That's what Abram was doing for Lot. He was saying, look, we're fighting. Our our herdsmen are fighting. Let's not go through this. I have a better solution. What Abram did quickly is resolve the matter. So for some of us, even in our very own families, when we see conflict happening, we've got to resolve the matter quickly, lest there cause more division along the way. So God's going to give us some principles that we can learn. And the first one is this, if you want to take some notes, to build a godly culture in your home. That's what you want to have. You want to have a godly culture, not a religious culture, a godly one, one that is connected to God, one that is godly, not where it's legalistic, but one that is allowing the freedom for our children and loved ones to know the culture of who God is, that he's a gracious God, but he's also a God of truth. See, Abram was given a promise by God that he would become a great nation it almost seems like a great promise. I mean, wouldn't you want that promise from God that you would be a great family, you would do well? But he said, Abram, you're going to be a great nation, not so that you can prosper, but so that you would prosper and then be a blessing to everyone else. That's what God's promise was for Abram. And so years later, yeah, they become a blessing. And if you look at the nation of Israel today, that's what came about of this promise, that Israel became a great nation, and not so that they could just be a great nation, but that they would be a blessing to others. And I don't know if you know this, I just recently learned this, on how Israel blesses the entire world, and not too many people know of it. For instance, the desalinization of water from the Mediterranean Sea to give fresh water to the Israelites, that technology, they gave away to their Arab neighbors. They gave that technology away. So that their neighbors, who are their enemies, who is trying to wipe them off of the face of the earth, they said, no, this technology is good for you to have fresh water. They gave that technology away. They also, uh, technology-wise, with uh, Intel, that chip, the microchip, came out of Israel. A lot of technology comes out of Israel. MRIs, that machine, came out of Israel. See, Israel is such a blessing to the world. They even... the. the, the company macy's yeah came out of the jews oh now i got your attention what macy's they are a blessing levi's jeans came out of israel came out of the jewish nation so they're a blessing to the world but you know the greatest the greatest thing i love coming out of israel is ben and jerry's ice cream what an unbelievable invention ben and jerry's i thought yes lord they are a blessing to the rest of the world but they are. That's, they, they even, agricultural-wise, they give away their, their, the way they do agriculture. And if you go to Israel, in fact, when we went there, we noticed there is no sprinklers because they're in the desert. So they have no sprinklers watering their farms, but yet everything is prospering. So what they've done is they have, for each individual tree, its own watering system. A pipe goes to each individual tree, and tubes go to each individual tree where they have their crops, and it's flourishing. It's amazing. You're in the middle of the desert, everything dry except all the crops flourishing. They use one-tenth of the water that we use here in the United States, one-tenth. And they still give that technology away. So it's amazing that when God gives a promise, he keeps to his promise when we, on our side, say to him, you know what then? I want to bring your culture into my life because that's what he's going to do. God's going to give away. He's going to. That's what blessing means. God giving away what belongs to him so that we can benefit from it. And he says, I want to bring in godliness in your home. Well, Lord, we want that too. Well, here's how you do it. For Heidi and I, when we first came to know the Lord, we wanted to bring godliness in our home and build a godly culture. And it was such a huge shift for us because of where we we came from, especially for myself. I mean, the things that I had to work through wasn't easy. And God says, I'm going to start with you. You're the head of the household, so I'm going to have to do a change in here. So I'm going to have to change your heart. I said, okay, God, we're going to do this. What do you need me to change? He said, what is going into you? What are your thoughts? What, what is happening on the inside? What are you putting into your life? And I said, I don't know what, what is going into my life. And he says, well, you need to start observing what's going into your life. I said, nothing. I mean, things are fine. He said, okay, just observe what you're bringing into your life. What's going on into your thoughts? What's going on into your heart? So I started to do that and observe. And I observed this. I was listening to so much junk and watching so much junk that that's what was going on on the inside. And I didn't realize what was happening. And so the music I was listening to was so negative and all these words in it. And and I thought, oh, I just like the beat, God. He said, yes, but that's what's happening is you so enjoy the beat that your mind keeps tab on the words and then your heart is taking account for all the words. So it's just being deposited. So the words you're speaking, you know, all the words you're speaking. Yes, that's a result of the environment you're in that you're bringing into your heart. So I said, okay, Lord, I have to change that. Then he said, well, change that. I said, okay, i got to get rid of all these things. So I remember coming home, and I said to my children, I said, okay, we're weeding out all the movies that is just putting junk into our hearts. So we thumbed through all of our movies, and I was like, oh, Lord, these are such good movies. Can I give them away? He said, really, you're going to give away this to cause someone else to, to go through this? So we had, to, we had to throw away a lot of movies and then I remember with my children, I said, oh, this one, we got we to dump this out. And they're like, really? And I said, well, we, because we want to we wanna bring in, you know, positive things and godliness in our home. And then they chose my movies. And they said, Dad, what about this? And I was like, well, that one is okay. They said, wait, wait, no, if you're throwing away our movies, we've got to throw away yours too. So we went through a whole purging and getting rid of things, and, and it was such a struggle. It took time to develop that. And... What we didn't want to do is go so legalistic that we became like religious fanatics that, you know, we couldn't do anything at all. Don't don't breathe. This is a polluted air. So we didn't want to go way on the extreme, but what we wanted to do was we wanted to have some type of home base where this would be our home. This is our sanctuary. This is where we come home where there's peace and quiet or where there should be. So what are we bringing into our home? I remember one day Heidi and I got into an argument. It was her fault. So I I remember when we got into this fight, I got so upset. I got, why are you guys laughing? Because you know it's not true. So I got so upset, and I punched the wall. I just punched the wall. Boom, thank God I didn't hit a stud. I hit the wall, and there's a hole in the wall. I missed the brace or the the stud in the wall. And then I I saw the hole, and I felt so manly, like, yeah, you see that? I can do that. then Heidi looked at me, and she goes, you got to fix that. And so I was like, eh, fix them. So I walked away, and, and but then I remember the Lord saying, you, you gotta, you, you gotta take care of those things. So later on, when I calmed down, I thought, okay, I gotta patch up the hole in the wall now. So as I'm getting things prepared to patch the hole in the wall, I, I sense God saying to me, I don't want you to fix the wall. And I said, what? He said, I don't want you to fix the wall. I'm feeling re- relieved, because I can go to hide and say, I felt God saying I shouldn't <laughs> fix the wall. But... what the Lord spoke to me, he said, I don't want you to fix the wall because I want you to be reminded that you need fixing. And I said, what do you you mean I need fixing? He said, yeah, you have such a short temper. Your anger is going to ruin your entire family. And I said, well, if she don't make me mad, then I'm going to be angry. (laughs) So you can't fight with God and win. So I said, okay, So I covered it with a picture. I just put it there because it was in my children's room. That's where we had the argument. So I covered it up and we lived in that home for 10 years. We were renting, so we were in there for 10 years. So finally, as we were moving out, you know, when you're moving out, you have to patch up holes and you have to clean up the house and and paint if you need to. You want to leave the home in in good condition lest you don't get your deposit back. So I remember the day of and we're taking things down and this has been, you know, we've been going to church and been serving and then I... uh, came on staff. So we went through that whole process. So as we're moving out and taking things down, I remember taking off that picture from the wall and I saw the hole in the wall. And boy, a flood of memories came back of I I remember hating that moment. And then the Lord says, now you you can fix that because you're moving out, so you need to take care of that. So I remember getting the materials ready. And I didn't auto-fix holes in the wall, so I just got a whole bunch of newspaper, just shoved it in the wall and just packed it in there, packed it in there, so that when I put the mud, I can, I can you know, take care of it. So I'm just <laughs> packing it with newspaper, putting it all in there. So if you find newspaper in your wall, I used to live there. So I packed it in, <laughs> spackled it, everything good, painted it, and then we were done. And I remember as I left, it's like the Lord said, good job with taking care and fixing that. Because throughout these years, that's what I've been doing with your heart. That that's no longer you. I healed that. So don't go backwards. You keep going forward together with me and your family. And I got to say, I never punched walls before. After that, I was good. I still got angry. I still had to deal with uncontrolled anger. But at least I was that much further. You know, now I, I, don't, I don't yell as loud it's a little softer now. I try to be holy when I yell. It's like, Heidi, no, that's not. So I'm trying to keep under a certain decibel so that it still remains kind of holy. It doesn't work all the time, though. So you still go through those seasons of, boy, that's, that's the old self trying to come back. got to go back to remembering that you want to build a godly culture in the home, that it's His culture coming in, not our culture in our heart trying to stay the same. We want to do better. We want to change. And because I was the head of the household, he said, I'm going to start with you. That's who I'm going to start with. It's going to be you. So with Abram, he was the head of his household. He was the one that God gave the promise to. So when he came to Lot, he had to remember that this is his responsibility to teach the younger. That's what we have here in Hawaii. We have our kupuna, who teaches the keiki. Sometimes we think, but the keiki no listen. We're trying to teach, but they're not listening. Our responsibility as the older is not for them to listen. That's their responsibility. Our responsibility is to be the example for them to look to. First, before they listen. That's what Abram understood, that I need to be the living example before I can be the verbal example. So Abram, as he goes to Lot, always thought about the promise of God. The promise of God was his motivation. It wasn't for Lot to change. That wasn't his motivation. His motivation was the promise that God gave to him, that through you and your descendants, I'm going to bless the entire world. So he had to figure out, how am I going to do this, especially now that there's conflict and friction between Lot's herders and mine. We don't want this to become such a family matter in the In uh, verse 8, Abram says to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. In other words, Abram went back to the vision that God gave to him. He said, look, we're family. We're family. So we got to think of another way to resolve this matter rather than quarreling all the time, fighting all the time, grumbling all the time. There's Fighting and who's right and who's wrong is not the issue. The issue is there's something deeper than this. There's a promise of God that the enemy is trying to stop. So how do we come together, go forward together, so that we can receive the promises of God? And Abram quickly made a decision because he knew that they were close relatives and that this promise of God needed to continue on. Abram built a godly culture in his family knowing that that as they expanded as people, there would be more personalities to deal with. In other words, he knew that you can be a single person, and then you meet someone, and then you get married. And when you get married, you bring in other people. You bring in what is called in-laws. I'll just pause right there for a little while. Just think of that. Just think of the word right now. And if you're sitting next to your in-laws, just, and if you're, if you're getting along well, that's great. If you're not, today is the day that we're going to learn about even in-laws. But that's what Abram's thought was. It was, wait a minute, as my descendants go on, we're going to have all different kinds of people come in. And they did. They intermarried with other nations. So things went bad for a while. But it didn't stop the promise of God. See, you and I can continue to allow the promise of God to stay in our family and throughout our descendants by bringing in that godly culture. And when God sees a family that he's going to bring together, he, he also brings with it His promises. You may be in a blended family, a family that's separated, a family that, that has just come together, maybe a family that uh, you adopted or, or maybe you hanai someone. You, you're just in a family that is so diverse and unique that you have all these different perspectives and personalities coming in and you don't know where to go with this. Well, God says, bring in a godly culture and I will help along the way. That's what Abram did. As as much quarreling and division that was coming in, he quickly resolved the situation by making sure the culture of his household would be a godly one. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31 and 32 tells us to get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander. We don't even use the word brawling. We don't come home and say, hey guys, stop brawling. But the Bible uses it. So there is brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Then he says this. Here's the answer. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. You know what Paul the Apostle is saying? He's saying, whenever you find you you disputing in families and and there's disunity and and anger and rage and and slander and, and everything happening in the family... It's an indication that you've forgotten what God has done for you. That this is is what you use in order to be compassionate, to be kind, and to be forgiving. It's to remember that Jesus is like that with you, that God is like that with you. Yeah, but I can't deal with this. They're, They're saying these things, and why can't we just get along? And Why don't they just move out? Why don't they do this? And then God says, okay, don't forget. You're to be this, kind and compassionate. I cannot. Okay, go back to me. Be kind and compassionate to them as how I'm kind and compassionate to you. Because that's where the power is going to come from. You can't on your own, but you can with my power. Just be a vessel for me. Be kind and compassionate how I am kind and compassionate to you. Be forgiving how I am forgiving to you. So it's going to pass through you. It's going to be my power through you them. Yeah, but I, I want them to listen. Yeah, but you're not listening. I want you to be that vessel. I want you to be the light to them because you may be the only church they'll ever go to. You might be the only Jesus they will ever see and the only Bible they will ever read. So I'm asking you as a believer. You see, God's promises, believe it or not, comes to pass even though there's conflict, even though there is bitterness and rage. He says, you've got to bring me into the picture. And I think for many of us, that, that's what might be missing in the home is a godly culture. Yeah, but he's not coming to church. She's not coming. They're not coming to church. How am I going to bring in a godly culture? You're going to church. You're learning. That's why the Bible says to gather like this because we receive from God, we go into his word, and then we bring that into the rest of the world. Your light in your family's darkness pierces the darkness you bring light into your family but this is where the second thing comes in you got to have an awareness you got to build an awareness of teamwork in your family that you're gonna you got to be aware of what's happening and you might be aware but you're also shifting towards teamwork how are you going to do this as a team how are you going to work together as a team because if you look at any sports team And right now we're getting closer, you know, to like Super Bowl, and I know there's games today, so stay focused, guys. Stay focused. That the best teams may not be the most talented teams, but they're the most together teams. If there's ever going to be a comeback, if they're down by so many points, if there's ever going to be a championship, it must be done together, and so it is with the family. Did you know that the family is the smallest church in the world? Yeah, parents, you're the pastor of your family. You're the pastor. That means shepherd. You shepherd your family. When Abram parted with Lot, he let Lot choose first. That's what he did. And Lot, in his young, inexperienced mind, he just looked down and says, Oh, where's the greenest pasture? That's what he did. Where's the greenest? "Up, oh, I'll take over here. And Abram said, Okay. Well, Lot chooses that area, and that area is Sodom, which we later read that, that, well, even in this passage, that it was full of wickedness. Later on, God destroys those two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. And all that Lot had, all of that, that land, gone. But not for Abram. Abram let Lot choose, but Abram, instead of looking at greener pastures, he said, Lord, it's... I just need your presence. If your presence is there, then I'm fine. I don't, I don't need to look for greener pastures because greener pastures does not mean better. Oh, it's appealing to the eyes, but it may not be for the better. And sometimes in our families, we think, oh, this would be better if only we did this and this and this. It may not be that. It could very well be just the presence of God is not in our home. And we're not doing things together as a team. We're doing things together separate. Well, you just do your part, I'll do my part. You just pay the bills, I'll make the money. You do this, I'll do that. You live on that side, I live on this side. You eat your food, I eat mine. You label yours, you label mine. You drink my milk, you're you punished. Like, we, we separate everything. And so now we think, that, we think that's teamwork, but really we're divided now. But teamwork in the home, that's what Abram was trying to bring. He's trying to bring that awareness. Because God could turn, and Abram knew this, he could turn a desert into an oasis. And so your home may look like that right now. It's like desert time. There's no refreshing. When you come home, everything is just dry and heated and just not nothing's going right. And God says, I can turn this desert of your home into an oasis. But you've got to do it together as a team. Bring in that awareness. God says to Abram in verse 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, he says, look around from where you are to the north and south, to the east and west, all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring. See, God continuously gave Abram the vision of perpetuation, that this is going to be not just for you, but you're going to be blessed throughout your descendants, and they're going to be a blessing to the entire world, but you got to do this together. It's not going to be separate, Abram. You're going to have to do this together as a family. For Heidi and I, we have this mindset, and it's, it's an unwritten rule in our household that we're going to do things together as a team. And it takes time to develop that because at times it's, it's going to seem unfair. Like you, you picked up the kids, you dropped them off at school, you took them to practice, you also picked them up from practice, you gave them a shower, and what did you do? Oh, I wiped down the counter. <laughs> teamwork, honey, teamwork. Why am I sounding like the man of the house? Why is that? What if it's the other way? What if the man says, you know, I picked them up from school, dropped them off, took them to soccer practice, picked them up from soccer practice, I made dinner, what did you do? I sweep." So there are going to be times where it's going to seem like five to zero, five to one. It's going to seem like that. You're going to always feel like you're doing more than the other person. You're going to feel that. But what teamwork is about is not necessarily who is doing more, but who is becoming more. Because it's not about the task at hand. It's really, God, who are you making me to be? Here's a secret. If you change for the better and no one else does, at least you got better. But if you're trying to just have task at hand in the home, the score of the home through task, nothing changes. Because it, it should happen here in the heart. So we have this mindset of teamwork, and it's, it's if Heidi cooks, I clean. If I cook, Heidi cleans. Sometimes Heidi cooks and cleans. Sometimes I cook and I clean. But we have at least something there that says, what are our responsibilities? My responsibility is taking out the trash and doing the yard. That's my responsibility. Heidi will help sometimes. That's, and, and then she'll do other things. Her responsibility mainly is in the home because she's Portuguese. And Portuguese clean their house super good. So that's her responsibility. She cleans everything very well. So we just try to do our very very best to figure out teamwork in the home in, in whatever way possible. And it's difficult when your children have different, you know, you go to, they go to different schools with different schedules. Someone works. They can't get off of work. Who's going to pick them up? And, and so you have all of these dynamics taking place. You'll call and say, hey, so how are you guys? you guys eating at home? Uh, no. Well, who? where are you guys? Oh, we're at the mall. At the mall? Why are you still at the mall? Oh, nobody can pick us up? What? Where's mom? Where's dad? Nobody came. What time is it? 4.30 in the afternoon. What time are they supposed to be picked up? One o'clock. What is happening? And then you try to text each other, and then you got to go missing children, and you don't know where anybody is, and then you get into conflict. That's where the word communication comes in. See, in the household, if there's no communication, we're going to have consequences. So the teamwork side of it is very important. It's amazing. We live in the, in the most technologi- technologically communicative era in the history of our world, and we still don't communicate. I mean, I, I, for some reason. So obviously, it is not technology. It is just our practices and our systems that we use. Abram didn't have technology like how we do. But he verbally communicated and said, you go this way, I'll go this way, and this is what it's going to look like. And he made sure they made that decision together. The Bible says it like this in Ecclesiastes 4.9, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. In other words, when you do things together as a team, there is great reward with that. There's a great outcome. You're going to have a good return because you're doing things together. You just got to figure that out. What does that look like? For a season, Heidi took our boys to school. Then another season, I took them to school. It just changes all the time. Systems change. Organizational structures in the home continuously change. We cannot use last year's shoe size for this year's family growth. Things change along the way. You've got to sit down and figure it out. And you use a calendar system or whatever you've got to use so that you can communicate. And then the last thing as family, to build memories together. Build those memories. Do things together as family and continuously build memories. You know, building memories will go a long way as our family grows up. And they're going to remember things. I remember when social media first came out and, you know, you could post things on Facebook or Instagram. I remember seeing, you know, our friends, you know, videoing their children and then they'll post it and things like that. And, I, and it wasn't in a bad way that I, I thought about this, but I, I thought... Our children's memories, their memories is going to be this, saying hi to the phone or camera. That's their memory. And not that it's a bad memory, or, or, but it's a memory. I, we have a memory in our home. Like when Heidi and I, if we cook breakfast, and if we cook something like uh, eggs, Vienna sausage, Portuguese sausage, rice, it, uh, spam, corned beef hash, they like, got to be crispy corned beef fashion. like them soft. You, you, and you put out this spread and you cook like that. I, I think Heidi would already know. The memory of this is of our dad. Because that's how we ate breakfast. That's how he made breakfast. Like in my household, we had cracker. <laughs> when I went to her house, we had a buffet. I was like, I love this family. I gained 30 pounds though, but I, oh, so good. But today when we make breakfast like that, that's, it's a memory. When my brother-in-law cooks stew, it, it's a memory. So there are certain things in your family that you're going to do, whether it's camping or, or going to the beach together, you know, doing certain things that build memories, play board games together, like old school board games where you got to fight in the family, but you fight forward, that you, like you get into those situations where you build, you build family memories. And here's why you do that. Family memories are like food for famine, in the future when you have family memories and you go through difficult times you can always you can always bring in the memories of good times not that it would fix the things that are happening today but it it keeps us with vision for our family which is what it was happening at abram god says god said this is what's going to happen so, you got to continuously remember Abram, this is the promise. So, he continuously had to build memories, so much so that he built an altar in verse, thir- verse 18. So, Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents, and there he built an altar to the Lord. He built an altar. It's like he's saying, this is every time we see this, we're going to remember the promise of God. And so, it is in your family that you're going to talk about the good memories. All the memories that you built. But if you don't build any memories, there's nothing in the bank to withdraw from. And it's empty. Build memories in your families, whatever it would look like. That way there's a home base to come back to, lest anyone stray in life. They can always come back to these memories. When Lot went into this new land called Sodom, there were wicked people that lived there. And God destroyed the city because of their wickedness. In fact, four kings came against them, and and as they did this battle, the, the, the kings took over the land and took Lot as prisoner. Abram gets 318 of his men and goes after these men and takes Lot back from imprisonment. He rescues them. Talk about a family memory. Like, I'm sure the descendants later, and we're still talking about it today, but I can imagine what Abram was saying to, even to his children, that, yeah, 318 of our guys, we went in, stormed the place, took, took out Lot, took him out, and we rescued him, and, and all the kids are like, and so so how was it? Oh, it was, it, was, it, was, it was frightening, but we had God with us, and so we went in, stormed the place. It was like CIA, it was like agents, and was like ninja, we went in there, that would be my version. And then we got in there, snuck him out, and so whatever story that was being given for Abram is such a memory that we still talk about it today. Whatever memories you're building with your family, it's gonna come in handy years down the road. So build great memories. Do things together. Put things together like no cell phone night or something like that, that there's nothing that you can do except sit down and talk story, play a card game or or, or, or a trivia game or a board game, something like something old school. Because that brings you together. Do something that brings the family together. Build memories together. For some of you, you have a, uh, a family get-together time, maybe once a year. Maybe it's Thanksgiving or Christmas. It's, it's building memories together. Maybe it's eating dinner at the table together. You might be thinking, dinner at the table. We don't want table. Then go get a small table. Or just put something in the living room and, and put out some mats. I have a great memory of my mom every once in a while buying Doritos chips, putting, putting newspaper on the ground because our blank, we only had one blanket, that was for sleep. So she put newspaper on the ground and put the bag of chips in the middle and we had to individually take turns lest somebody eats more than their share. So it was my turn, I bite, I watch my sister, she takes one and then my brother, so we had to rotate. And that's how we ate the chips, we had to make sure that we shared. And we couldn't eat the whole bag. After a couple of chips, mama said, okay, we're done. We're going to put a bag. I'm like, what? But that's our memory. And then we upgraded to dip. Oh, those are the days. We upgraded to dip. But those memories are still there. And the Bible says build those memories. Hebrews 10.24 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works we got to think of ways. Like we got to actually think these things through. It's not going to come naturally. we got to think this through. Great memories with our children, great memories with our grandchildren and, and siblings will go a long way. Keep building memories, build an awareness of teamwork in the home. See what God does with that. Build a godly culture so that no matter what happens in the family, we're doing this together or even as a single person. You may be dating or you may not be dating right now, but you're building godliness in your home, in your life, in your heart. And we'll be able to move together but mainly together with Jesus. Amen. And close your Bibles, put away your notes. You know, as we were talking about earlier, that the family is the smallest church in the world, and that we're shepherds as parents. And we shepherd our children. You, You know, the Bible likens us as shepherds or pastors. That's the word pastor, as shepherds. But even as parents, you shepherd your children. And and a shepherd, if you think of a, about a shepherd, they shepherd the sheep. And basically what they're doing is they're leading the sheep because the sheep don't know where to go. They'll just put their heads down and keep eating and keep eating. And they, they won't pay attention. They won't look up. Another sheep will come by. Meh, what's up? Meh, yeah. And they'll just keep looking down. Kind of like today. You, we'll be like this. Say hi to auntie. Hi. And we'll do this. It's like sheep need to be led. And the shepherd needed to be there to lead the sheep away from the poisonous plants, away from the ravine, the ditches, lest they get stuck. So they did that, that's why they had a shepherd's staff. You know, there's a little hook on the end. Every once in a while, when they see the sheep straying, they would just kind of hook them and kind of lead them in. Not hook them and, get over here! You know, That's, that's us, parents, get over here! Come here, you're not listening! Come on, get in your room! So that's not what the shepherd's staff was for. The shepherd's staff, with a little hook on the end, was just to kind of nudge them in and gently lead them, as the Bible says, "Beside still waters. And he makes me lie down in green pastures because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you ever forget how to shepherd, go back to Jesus. He's the good shepherd who always, always leads us together as a team. Would you pray with me? Bow your heads for a moment. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that we can be here together as family, church family, blood-related family, in-laws, adopted, Hanai, as good friends. Lord, you, you bring people together because you are all about relationships. But in the, in the view of relationships with all of its complexities and complications, You help us figure it out, but we got to do this together with you. So, Lord, we invite you into our family, into our homes, that we would bring in a godly culture, that we would do this together as a team, that even though there may be friction and maybe even some division, Lord, we pray right now for unity in the home. Even with our children, Lord, if they've been straying, Lord, we we pray that no matter how far they have strayed from you, that they would draw closer to you. Draw them near to you, Lord. Draw us near to you as a family. I pray for all of those who are are parents of the household or heads of the household, especially as fathers, Lord, that you would empower them and strengthen them to be the men of God that you created them to be. I pray for all the women, the moms, that they would be that kind of mom that surpasses all others, that in the home, she would be such a godly influence that for generations to come, they will know you as their Lord and Savior. They will know you as their God. And as family, Lord, as we move forward together, we invite your presence so that in the future, as our children grow up, they will know you as their personal God. Thank you once again, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, and we all sit together, amen.